Lord, we just want to thank and praise you, Lord, that we could be together this morning. We thank you, Father, that we can just uh, be in the house of the Lord together. We can worship together. Father, we can laugh together. And Lord, we can just receive from your word. And Lord, this morning, as we just look to the word of God this morning, we just pray you'd grace us, speak to us, challenge us, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're doing a series on relationships, and it's been a great series so far. I hope you've enjoyed it. I know I've enjoyed it. I've been challenged by it. And uh, we started off by Joel kind of introducing the topic and, and then just talking about our ability to relate it has a lot to do with our, our inner well-being, our inner health is a big factor in whether we're successful relating or not. And then we talked about how to deal with some of that. We talked about we talked about inner honesty. We, we, we talked about bruising in our lives. Anatoly, I think last week, talked about forgiveness. And uh, this morning, I want to I wanna introduce to you uh, the four main foundation stones of relationship. And they should be on the screen. And that's trust, love, respect, understanding. Those four stones. And actually, Linda and I are, over the next two weeks, this week and next week, are going to be speaking to you about those four foundation stones of, of all relationships. And uh, this morning, I'm supposed to talk to you about trust and love, but you know, I really felt uh, this week as I was preparing for this, that I should focus my my time this morning on number two, love. Talk about that. You know, um, Tanya Foster did a session on trust for our life groups, and if you're a part of a life group, you've already seen that that, uh, teaching on trust. It was excellent. And uh, if you're not a part of a life group and say, well, I, I'm not a part of a life group and I didn't hear that, you can easily get to it. If you, if you just go to Harvest City Regina YouTube page, it's right there. You just have to uh, put in your browser, Harvest City Church Regina YouTube page, and it'll be there. You just click on it and you can hear it. It's excellent. And, and I don't want to, uh, to, uh, to go over that same ground. <clears throat> but this morning, I want to talk to you about, about love. And I really felt, felt stirred about it. And you know, all of us, when we talk about love, we say, well, we, you know, we all know something about love. We all have a, a working definition in our mind about what love is and what, what love isn't. We, know, we think, well, I, we instinctively know what that is. We sing about it. Uh, we read Harlequin romances. If you're, if you're a gal, I don't know if any guys read those romance novels. But, you know, we know about love, right? And uh, love is part about being human and... And so we feel like, you know, we're kind of experts on, on love. But uh, it's one thing to talk about love, but it's another thing to really do it. And I don't know about you, but you know what? I've discovered that love is hard. And uh, it can hurt. Uh, love involves pain. Uh, love involves disappointment. Uh, and there are simply times in our life where we just simply fail to love. So it's not as, it's easy to say it, it's easy to read about it, it's easy to sing about it, it's quite another thing to actually do it. And so what's really interesting, I can have my definition of love and you can have yours, but what is God's definition of love? And 1 Corinthians 13 gives us God's description of what love is. In fact, you know, I, I've, I don't know how many times in the, I've read 1 Corinthians 13, and of course we know that scripture. God put that in the Bible so we could have something uh, to read at weddings, correct? Isn't that what it's there for? It's there for weddings. It's there for wedding ceremonies. And so we always pull that one out. When everybody's looking good, smelling good, and on their best behavior, uh, we talk about 1 Corinthians 13. But that's not the context 
of 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13 was written to the Corinthian church, which was a very, which was a church that was full of problems. I mean, you talk about relationship issues, the church at Corinth had it, and we'll talk a bit about that. You know, as I read 1 Corinthians 13, I thought this is the most demanding, challenging portion of Scripture in the entire Bible. I mean, when you read that and really read it and see what it says, what love is, I mean, yikes. And it turns out that actually when we read 1 Corinthians 13, we don't know that much about love. And we haven't even begun to realize how significant love is in the mind of God. And so the, the context, again, was all the disunity and all the trouble and all the controversy and all the conflict that was in the church at Corinth. And Paul says to the Corinthians three things about love. First of all, he says, without love, you're nothing. I, you know, when I saw that, I thought, what? what? Did I really read that right? Without love, I'm nothing. I mean, God actually told me I was nothing? That's right. That's what he said. Without love, you're nothing. Second thing he said is, you don't know what love is. And the third thing he said is, love is eternal and the greatest attribute of all. So let's talk about those three things. Let's talk about without love, you're nothing. Uh, In verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, If I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am what? Nothing. That's exactly what God said. I'm nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. nothing. All right. You know, sometimes we think that you know, uh, love is kind of doing what we want, and we all assume that we're loving, right? We assume that. Hey, I'm a pretty loving guy. <clears throat> Don't talk to Linda about that, but I'm a pretty loving guy. Um, but God would say, hey, Dave, without love, you're nothing. And P- Paul actually, in this portion of Scripture, compares love to all the things that the church at Corinth admired, because what did the church at Corinth admire? Well, they, had not, they admired the gifts. Whoa. They admired, they admired Peter and Paul and Paul. I, I'm, a, I'm a Peter. I follow Peter. Man, that guy is so gifted. Man, he's the chief of all the apostles and he's the head of the church. And man, I'm following Peter. And another guy said, well, I'm following Paul. Man, his letters are incredible. I mean, he's an amazing man of God. And you see the miracles that Paul does? I mean, he even raises the dead. And another guy said, oh, I follow Apollos, man. He can teach, man. That guy can preach. He's a fantastic preacher. I follow Apollos. And, and, and they emphasized the gifts and they were lifting up individuals in the body and there's all kinds of factions. And Paul's saying, you know what? Let me talk. He compared love to all those things. All those things that Corinthians thought were important. Now I know in Harvest City we don't think any of those things are important. We don't have the problem, same problem with Corinthians, right? We don't have favorite preachers and we don't watch, you know, certain guys online and not other guys. And, you know, we don't do that. I mean, we're not mesmerized by miracles or signs or wonders. We're into love, right? It's pretty quiet out there. 
pretty quiet out there. You know what? Things haven't moved much. The church today has the same problem that the church at Corinth had. We're mesmerized by the same things. We value the guy who's, who seems like he can, you know, if somebody walked in here and could raise the dead and do a few miracles and gifts and healing, this place would be packed. We bring in a prophet that can prophesy. Whoa, hey, there's a prophet in town. Everybody comes. Right? We're not, we're not any different, church. We value the same things. The person, the man or the woman that can move in the gifts of the Spirit, whoa, that person's speaking today. <clears throat> so Paul said, even if you had the gift of tongues, you could soar on the heights of spiritual ecstasy, speak like the angels to the amazement of everybody around, but you didn't have love, then it's nothing. In fact, he said, you know what? If Dave Wells could just speak in tongues more than you all and, and just really move in the presence of God, you know what God says about that? He says, that's like a clanging cymbal. No, a clanging cymbal was what was used in pagan worship. It wasn't just, you know, the drummer a little off tune. When he's talking about clanging cymbal, he's talking about pagan worship. He says, that's how much I value speaking in tongues without love. Now, speaking in tongues is valuable. Don't get me wrong. But if there's not love involved, it doesn't mean anything. I'm not saying the gifts of the Spirit aren't important. But if it's not love involved in, this, in using the manifestation of those gifts, it doesn't mean anything. It's why I do these things. Miraculous gifts without love is indistinguishable from pagan worship. It doesn't matter how deep your emotional religious experience is. Without love, you cannot please God. And Paul pushes it further. If someone was a gifted preacher and her theology is perfect, understand the deep mysteries of God, kind of sounds like our pastor, right? And understand and teaches God's word to thousands, but does not have love, that person is nothing. Sorry, Joel. Nothing. That's what he says. That's God's evaluation of it. That's not my evaluation. That's not the one you have. But that's how God looks at it. When I started looking at that, I thought, whoa. You know, if you could heal the sick and move mountains and have faith to do the greatest miracles, but you have, don't have love, it's nothing. It doesn't matter how accurate your theology is or how effective your ministry is without love, God's not impressed. You say, well, what about great sacrifices? What if I go and just, you know, we really admire the person who sacrifices and goes to the deepest, darkest place of the world and lays their life down and, and it just gives themselves to the poor and the hurting. And, you know, we admire that person. But God says if that is done without love, it doesn't mean a thing. It's nothing. Hey, what about the guy who was martyred, burned at the stake for his faith? Without love, it doesn't mean anything. That's what he's saying. Without love, you gain nothing. If you sacrifice without love, you gain nothing. If you move in the gifts of the Spirit without love, it's nothing. <clears throat> so sometimes we have the idea that, you know, God is really impressed with the person who can do great things or the person who's really gifted. You know what? Without love, he's not impressed. <clears throat> but the reverse is also true. You can never be so small or so insignificant 
that you cannot do great things for God. Because if it's a matter of expressing love, that's something we all can do. Amen? You don't have to be a great preacher. You don't have to be greatly talented. You know, if, if, you, uh, if you never sing with tongues or speak in tongues of angels, uh, but you have love, then your voice will be sweet music to God. If you've never preached on a Sunday morning, if you've never received a seminary degree, if you've never stood on this platform, if you've never performed a great miracle, but your relationships are characterized by love, then you will have accomplished great things for God. If you've never sold all that you had and moved to a a dark, poor part of the world or suffered dramatically for your faith, never been martyred, but you faithfully, day in and day out, love the saints, love people, then there's an eternal reward for you. You see, love is the defining issue of our lives. It's not your gifting. It's not your position. It's not your performance. That's not the defining issue. The defining issue for you and for me is how do we love? Is there love involved in what we do? If I exercise the gifts of the Spirit and it's an exercise, I'm doing it out of love, then it's valid. But if I don't, and, I, and people can exercise the gifts of the Spirit for all kinds of reasons, right? <clears throat> you know, a Pharisee came to Jesus and said, Hey, teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? And Jesus replied, and we started off this series with this portion of Scripture. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And so the ultimate problem, the ultimate challenge to you and me is how is our love? How are we doing? God's not asking us to perform amazing feats for him. He's not. He's not asking us. He's asking something that was far more radical than that. It's simple, but it's radical. Is your life, is my life characterized by love? That's the question. How you doing? The second thing is, so without love, Paul said, you're nothing. Not that Paul didn't just say that. God said that. Without love, you're nothing. Second thing Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is we don't know what love is. So he describes it for us. In verse 4, love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag. Is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So if you want to evaluate, how's my love? Here's your description. How you doing? Where are you not doing well? Let's talk about patience for a minute. I mean, we could do a sermon on each one of these attributes, but just quickly look at a few of them. You know, love is patient. What does that mean? It means patiently bearing with hurts against you without complaining. Paul begins there because that's where love actually begins in a fallen world. Does our world require patience to live in it? Does being a part of Harvest City Church require patience? Yes, it does. 
You know, I remember when I was just thinking, when I first got saved, I mean, I came out of the world. I had never been to church as a young person growing up, had no church experience, really had no idea about what Christians were or what the church was. And my first church experience was the day Linda and I got married. And we didn't do 1 Corinthians 13. At least I don't remember that we did. Um, we, uh, and so I, I didn't know anything about Christianity. So then I got saved. And I remember we, we moved to Swan River soon after I became a believer and I was teaching high school there. And we didn't have a church. And so uh, a family across the street from us invited us for lunch because I was teaching their kids, actually. And so I was living at, we were living in an apartment building. And so they invited us over for lunch. And they turned out to be believers. And they said, and they started asking us about church. And we said, well, we don't, we're just new in town. We don't have a church. They said, well, why don't you come to our church? It was just a block down the street. So I thought, well, why not? So we went there. And, uh, and, and, and I found out that these people had been Christians for a long time. And I remember walking into the church and I was in awe of Christians. I thought, whoa, look at these men and women. Man, they are so spiritual. They know all about the Bible. They know all about God. I don't know any of this stuff. Man, they are so spiritual. I was in, I literally was in awe. Wow, Christians. I'm in, I'm among Christians. Until the day came when they fired my pastor for for crying, getting a little weepy. And then I went to my first annual church meeting. And whoa, was that a shock? Because now these guys are not smelling nice, looking good, all in their suits, splash, you know, smiles on their face. Now they're swinging. Now they're fighting. Now they're yelling. I'm thinking, what, what, what happened here? But I'm all the Christians. It was, a, it was a rude awakening for me. I thought, no, I thought that, man, these guys had arrived. They didn't know I've been in church ever since. And after 50 years of being a Christian, <laughs> I know who you are. <laughs> and you know who I am, right? <laughs> so uh, does being a, being a part of a church require some patience? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You're not going to find, you know, perfection here. If you're a newcomer to our church, I got bad news for you. Or maybe it's good news. You know what? We're just a bunch of sinners in here. I mean, we're a horde. We're, you know, Dave talked about a horde of kids. We're a horde of sinners. Welcome. Welcome. <laughs> we will test your patience. <laughs> love requires patience. If you, ne- if you limit your love to those who never cross you, then you don't know what love is. Right? You, you know, I always say as a pastor, if you get to know me, it's only a matter of time until I step on your toes. It's only a matter of time until I give you an opportunity to forgive me. It'll happen. Maybe for some of you, it'll happen even this morning as I'm sharing this word. Um, and so, if you limit your love only to those who never cross you, you're going to be pretty lonely. <clears throat> How's your patience? How are you, proact- how are you doing in kindness? Uh, are you proactive in showing kindness to others? Are you kind to those who don't deserve it? Who don't deserve your kindness? How are you doing? You know, I saw a story one time. This is a uh, story I heard a long time ago. This teacher was, uh, was teaching her pupils, and she asked them, uh, these kids, to give them the definition of loving kindness. So this little boy jumped up, and he said, well, he said, if I was... <laughs> that was his definition. <laughs> How about envy? Uh, What's envy? Envy is the inability to rejoice with those who are having good things happen to them. 
And uh, are you glad when other people receive good things, especially the things that you wanted and you don't have, but can you rejoice with somebody else who has it? Um, the root error behind jealousy is the belief that my worth is established by my gifts and my possessions, which they, which they do not. You know, I read, a, there's a legend about that the devil was crossing the Libyan desert and he came across some, some demons trying to attack this holy hermit to sin. And so they were giving it their best shot and they attacked him with the lust of the body and he didn't flinch. And they told him he looked like a fool out there by himself in the desert, but it didn't bother him. And then they attacked him with doubts, but he was able to handle them. Then according to the legend, the devil watched all this and he said to these little demons, he said, look, if you're dealing with a really holy person, you have to take special measures. And according to the legend, he walked up to the hermit and he said, did you know that your best friend has been made the Bishop of Alexandria? And jealousy just flooded this guy's face. How about boasting and pride? Do we look down on others? Oh, maybe not overtly, but you know what? You're kind of feeling like, you know, I'm a little higher than some people. Um, you know, do you, how do you treat those who you think are beneath you? <clears throat> not really as only one or two of you would ever have fallen into that, but you know, in theory, how, how would it, how do you feel? Is it, is it possible that we've lived in such a way that there's times when we look at other people and think, well, I'm a little higher than them? You know, I, I read a, a story one time, it's a true story. This guy named Bill came up to his pastor and he said, Hey, pastor, God has given you a lot of really good gifts. And so the pastor, he, uh, he thought, he said, Well, thanks, Bill. Thanks for saying that. And Bill said, uh, What are you thanking me for? Well, you know, you, you complimented me. He said, I wasn't complimenting you, I was complimenting God. He said, if I want to compliment you, you'll know it. Just because you got good gifts. They're gifts, remember? <laughs> right? <clears throat> if you say you're gifted, and we have a lot of gifted people in this church. In fact, you know what? You're all gifted, every one of you. You all have gifts. But they were gifts. They were given to you. God's blessed me with gifts, but they were gifts. How about self-seeking? Are we self-seeking in our motives when we, when we do things? Then it says, love is not provoked. How are we doing? Are we slow to anger? Um, you know, how often are we angry when it's just a small thing? How often do we get angry? How often are we provoked when it's some slight or somebody said something or somebody cut you off in traffic how often are we provoked? How often do we just flare up? How often does that happen? Love keeps no record of wrongs. Well, Anatolia last week talked about forgiveness. Um, you know, forgiveness is not pretending nothing happened. Forgiveness is not excusing it. Like, hey, this was an accident. The person didn't mean it. No, that's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is recognizing that a real offense was perpetrated against us. But rather than using that against that other person, we choose to suffer it. We take the pain, we suffer the pain, and we don't retaliate. That's forgiveness. We don't want that other person to suffer. Even though that person has caused you to suffer, you do not want that other person to suffer. And so forgiveness means I'm not going to make you suffer for what you did to me. 
I'm going to love you. I'm going to cover it up. I'm not talking about covering up sin in such a way that we're, we're, where it becomes evil. I'm just saying, I'm not going to, I'm not going to seek vengeance. I'm not going to attack you. I'm not going to put pain on you to pay you back. I'm not doing that. I'm going to give you, I'm going to show you love. I'm going to really forgive you and let you go. Love doesn't delight in evil, rejoices with the truth. Flattery is not love. That's not love. Nor is gossip love. But love refuses to do evil. Love rejoices with what is true. And finally, does your love persevere? Does it endure? You know, if you have love, you have to persevere with people. You have to endure. You have to endure with all kinds of things. You have to endure with all kinds of trials and difficulties in your life. How are we doing with that? Do I have love? Do I still love God? Even though my life isn't exactly gone the way I thought it would. Do I still love God? Do I still love people? Can it endure? How long, does love, how long do I have to endure for? Right into eternity. Love never fails. Love is eternal. <clears throat> so, when Paul is describing love here to the church at Corinth, he's not talking about weddings. He's describing love in the context of broken relationships. The church at Corinth was full of broken relationships. They were mad at one another. They were offended at one another. They were angry. There was all kinds of strife, division, disunity, power plays, power trips. All this kind of stuff's going on in this church. And Paul is describing love for them in that context. That's why love is hard. That's why patience, uh, not being easily angered, no record of wrongs, not delighting in evil. All these things exist because we're sinners. And so love is how I respond to sin in this world. Love is how we respond to sin in our families when it shows up. Love is how we respond in the body of Christ when, it's, when, it's, when sin shows up. And sin shows up because, you know what? Even though we're born again and we're going to heaven, we still have a sinful nature. It still shows up once in a while, doesn't it? And so we don't know what it means to love. And the other thing about love is, where does love come from? Does it originate out there? I mean, if, if I see a person that's, you know, really a nice guy or really a handsome guy, so I love that guy because he's so good looking and he's got, he's, you know, he's just a really nice guy, so I love that. That guy can love that guy. Or that woman is beautiful, and so I can love her because she's so beautiful and she's got such a pleasing personality, so she causes love to come from me. Uh, love, love, you know, love is out there. Actually, that's not what Scripture says. Love doesn't, it doesn't depend on whether it's out there is beautiful or, or, or good. That's, that's not what, where love comes from. Love comes from my heart. Love comes from your heart. Love is not dependent. God's love is not dependent on what's out there. God's love is dependent on what's in here. That's where love comes from. If God says that love is this important, how much time do we actually give to becoming more loving? You know, we focus and concentrate on lots of other things in our Christian life. But do we really give the focus towards love that we should? If it's this important, that without love I'm nothing, then I should be really focused 
in my own life about, hey, Dave, you need to be, you need to deal with this. You need to focus on this. You need to concentrate on this. You need to sow into this. This needs to be uppermost in your mind about how you conduct your life and how you relate to other people. If it's that important to God, how much attention am I actually giving to it? And what do I do with it? Is such love possible? I mean, what Paul described in, in Corinthians is 13 is, how do I do that? I mean, that seems like a load of bricks. Like, man, that's impossible. That's a bar that I can't even begin to reach. Is that why you put that there? Let's go back to the original scripture that we started with. Where the Pharisee came to Jesus and said, hey, what's the great commandment of the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. You know one of the the most radical command in the Bible? Love your neighbor as yourself. That is the most radical command in the whole Bible. Love your neighbor as yourself. What's he talking about? Well, we have a, we are, as a human being, we have a powerful self-instinct. We have a self-instinct of self-preservation and self-fulfillment. And that's in every one of us. It's, you're born with it. You don't learn it. It's there. It's part of being human. And it's not wrong. It's not evil. It's not wrong to want food if you're hungry. It's not wrong to want clothing. It's not wrong to want a place to sleep. It's not wrong to be protected from violence against yourself. It's not wrong to want to have friends that like you. It's not wrong for you to want your life to count in some way. That's not wrong. That's God-given instinct. It's not wrong to to want to have pain diminished in your life and for happiness and well-being to increase in your life. That's not wrong. Um... But, when, but the, the, the main, the big kicker in love your neighbor as yourself is the word as. That's the big word, as yourself. And so whether it becomes evil, whether me wanting things for myself becomes evil or not, is where, where I go to find my fulfillment, where, where am I going to find those things? And what, what, what Jesus is saying is when he says, love your neighbor as yourself, he's saying, the same zeal that you have in your life to want to have your needs met, have that same zeal to have your neighbor's needs met. The same zeal that you want for self-preservation, have that for your neighbor. The same energy, the same zeal, the same passion, where you want food and clothing, and, and have that for your neighbor. With the same passion, the same zeal. But you see, we look at this portion of scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, and it feels threatening to us. It threatens us because we feel like, well, if I really love my neighbor the way I think Jesus is telling me to, then I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be loving myself. I'm going to lose out here. Uh, I'm going to be focusing all my energy on loving them. What about me? What's going to happen to me? What about my needs? What, what, what about my fulfillment? What about my happiness? If I, if I really focus on my neighbor the way I think that Jesus is talking here, then I, it's a subtraction for me, and I'm going to lose, and that threatens me, so I'm not doing it. That's what we think. 
And so what we read, we interpret this as saying, we have to love them instead of loving us. And so it threatens us. And so that's why we struggle with it so much. What's the solution? What's the answer to this? Well, the answer is staring us right in the face. The answer to the second commandment is the first commandment. If I do the first commandment, I can do the second. In fact, if I do the first commandment, I'll automatically do the second. What's the first commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and one of the other gospels says, and with all your strength. If I do that, if I love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength, I will find myself loving my neighbor as myself. Because what happens is as I love God like that, he fills up every need I have for self-satisfaction, for protection, for well-being, for happiness. And what happens is the overflow of my life causes me to love my neighbor as myself. So the real key to this whole thing in terms of me being able to love you and being able to love others and being able to love my family and being able to love my spouse and my kids and my grandkids and those, and, and, and those people who are really harder to love and love people in the body of Christ, the real key to that is my love for God. The more I focus on loving Him with all my heart, if I love God with all my heart, He fills my heart up. If I love God with all my soul, he heals my soul. If I love God with all my mind, he satisfies my mind with wisdom and his knowledge and, 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 and just fills my mind with, with truth. And, and, and out of that overflow, I can love my neighbor as myself. So my ability to love my neighbor is directly tied to my willingness to love God. And that's the only way you can actually live 1 Corinthians 13. Otherwise, you can't reach the bar. Amen? Does that make sense? So it's not, it's not really complicated. Jesus is saying, hey, come to me, and I'll give you fullness of joy. Didn't he say that? He said, at my right hand are, are, are pleasures forevermore. And here's what the, what's God's really saying. If you love me, you're going to feel my pleasure. You're going to have my well-being. I'm going to fill you up to the brim. And not only that, and when you actually start overflowing that to your neighbor, your joy will increase even more. So when God is patient with me, is God patient with you? And the more that you seek the Lord, the more you experience his patience. Well, then when you start receiving God's patience and you're grateful for God's patience of you, all of a sudden you have patience for other people. And when you experience God's forgiveness, have you experienced God's forgiveness? How does that feel? It feels great. Amen? As you really begin to experience God's forgiveness and you're mindful of that, I mean, if you think that God owes you something, then, you're, then, then you don't know what God's forgiveness is. But if you're conscious of the fact that you're a low-down, dirty, rotten sinner, oh, come on, Dave, lighten up. No, that's true. That's what you are. You're a low-down, dirty, rotten sinner, and so is this guy talking to you on the platform right now. Let's just be honest about that. And God forgave you all that sin. And the more that that becomes real to you and the stronger that your concept is of that forgiveness of how much God has forgiven you, then it's not hard to extend that same forgiveness to other people. And when God has been generous with you, has God been generous with you? Yes. Amen? Has God given you some things? Has God provided you with, a, you know, do you have a roof over your head? Has God been more than generous with you? Do you have more than you need? 
Many of you can say yes. And as that generosity becomes more and more real to you, and you begin to f- begin thankful for God for that, and you are say, God, you're so generous to me, then it's not hard for you to be generous towards others. That's why when Jesus told the story, remember about the story about how this guy had this great debt and Jesus forgave him? God forgave him all that debt. His master forgave him all that debt. And then the guy was owed three cents by some other guy and he threw him in prison. How angry the master was when he heard that? Because the guy didn't get it. But when we get it, when we realize how patient God is and how kind he has been to us and how generous he's been to us and how loving he is towards us and how forgiving he is towards us, the more that that is real in your heart and in your mind, the more you're filled up with the love and the, of God in your heart and your soul and your mind, well, then all of a sudden it just starts flowing out of you. And if you had joy just by being in the presence of God, you have joy by releasing patience and love and giving and generosity. You, as you release that to other people, your joy increases and multiplies. <clears throat> And you don't, you don't lose anything. It's not either, hey, if I love that, my, my neighbor, then I, I, I don't love myself or I, I'm losing love here. No, no, you're gaining every which way. And that's what, that's what God is trying to teach us. <clears throat> Let's stand. That makes sense? <clears throat> so you say, well, how do I increase my love? Let's increase our love for God. Amen. Let's seek him more. Let's pray. Let's worship like we did this morning. Let's, let's concentrate on him. Let's read the word of God. Let's start thanking God for his generosity and his patience and his forgiveness. And as we begin to meditate on that and think about that and praise God for that, something happens. Some, some, God changes you. Something happens in your soul. Something happens in your mind. You start being transformed by the renewing of your mind. All of a sudden... Things start dropping off of you. You start, start growing as a Christian. You start becoming a real disciple. You start, you start maturing as a believer. And the love of God then increases in the house, right? So if we're a local church that's growing, and I'm not talking just numerically, if we're a local church that's growing in maturity, in discipleship, becoming more and more like Jesus, then the love of God increases in this place. And as the love of God increases in the place, it begets more love and more love and more love. And that's the cycle that God wants us to have. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you today. Thank you, God, for loving us. God, you loved us first. We weren't loving you. We weren't seeking you. Your word says you first loved us. First. You were first. And without your love on us, we would, none of us would be here this morning. And so, God, we thank you that you took us as we, we were and we are. You love us right now. You love us exactly as you are right now. With all our blemishes, with all our warts, with all our failures, you love us right now. And, Lord, God, would you give us a revelation of that, a deeper revelation of how much you love us? God, you're so patient with us. You're so patient with us. God, you're so kind to us. You're so generous to us. God, it's unbelievable how generous you are to us. Lord, you help us to keep the main thing the main thing. God, we ask, Lord, God, help us to be not distracted by gifts and all that other stuff and elevating those things high is the highest thing. It's not the highest thing. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would do a deep work in each of our hearts. 
that the love of God would increase in, in my life, that the love of God would increase in the life of every person here. God, that, that Father, we would focus on that. And Lord, would you stir us up by the power of your Holy Spirit to seek you more, to get closer, to get closer to you. And Lord, I want to thank you for the grace that you've extended towards us. Such grace you've given us. Lord, help us to pass that grace on, to give grace to others. Help us, Lord, to be like that. And Lord, we know if we do that, relationships will flourish. We will flourish in relationships, Lord, because we'll be part of the solution. And so, Lord, I just thank you and praise you for every man and woman here this morning. I pray you bless them and strengthen them and prosper them in every way. And God, let the love of God increase in our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Have a great day. Hey, everyone. I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. We hope you enjoyed it and found something that spoke to you or blessed you in some way. That really is the heart of Harvest City Church, that you take what you've heard, learned, or experienced here, and then go out and share that good news with others. So go ahead and post this video to your page, start conversations, and who knows the lives that God could transform through it. If we can support you in some way in this season, please let us know. Maybe you've decided to dedicate your life fully to Jesus. We want to hear about it and celebrate with you and help you in those first steps. Connecting in to share the joys and the struggles of life is why we're here. Finding community is super important too, so if you're wondering about any of our programs for kids, youth, or adults, just reach out to us by phone or at the link below and we'll be in touch. To all of those who are partnering financially with us, thank you for your investment into the kingdom of God. It allows us to do what he's calling us to and reach even more people. For more info on that, go over to harvestconnect.ca slash give. If you haven't already, be sure to check out our live stream chat area at harvestconnect.ca slash live. It's a great place for interaction, commenting, prayer with our online hosts, and more. Don't forget to like and subscribe to our social pages and all that good stuff too. Take care, keep living your call, and we'll see you again real soon.